At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on episode 269 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Mille Miglia warm-up, the Nissan Z, the VW Jetta GTI, BMW's big EV investment in South Carolina, GMC's Sierra EV Denali Edition 1, updated Ford Escape, Toyota Crown, Argo AI shutting down, and the CEO of Lamborghini, Stefan Winkelmann. <laughs> This is episode 269 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin from the Fast Women Podcast. And Robbie is in Japan, I think. Yes, I think he's still he in is. Japan. I think he's still there, yes. yes. And uh, sorry we didn't, uh, Robbie and I didn't manage to get a show up for you last week. Um, he had uh, some last minute things he had to do before going to Japan, and so we just could not get our shit together. Uh, <laughs> the honesty could not get our shit together sorry everybody but, but for those of you that that are patreon supporters yes. um you did get some content in your patreon feed this week uh an interview i did with mikhail uh young oust uh who is a cognitive scientist at volvo and we talked about their driver understanding system that's going to be debuting on the new ex90 and also on the polestar 3 and then coming to other vehicles as well it's a really interesting conversation at least i thought it was interesting so um you know if you want to hear it um you know subscribe you know support us on patreon patreon um or you know eventually it'll show up in the main show as well but you know you can hear it now on the patreon feed there you go um and uh so nicole <laughs> yes <laughs> tell us why weren't you here last week um i was I was very busy, so I was um, had a bunch of stuff to do last week. I I, I headed out to uh, Michigan for a hot minute to uh, drive some vehicles for uh, the North American Car and Truck of the Year, our, our semifinalist, and then I flew back to Middleburg, Virginia, where I did the Mille Miglia warm up, uh, which is like a mini version of the crazy thing they run in Italy. Um, and Alfa, Alfa Romeo gave us a Stelvio, me and Eileen Falkenberg-Hall, who is my co-host at Fast Women. And we drove 
that through and learned how to do it. Sam, are you familiar with what they actually have to do in this race? race is is in this Italy? like a, a, a proper like a, a road rally where yeah. you've got timing? You've got to hit the hit every segment's got to be done within a certain time window and so yeah. on. Yeah, so it's so it's fewer miles and fewer cars than what you have in the Italian one. In the Italian one, everything has to be the the, the right. name Mille Miglia. Right. Literally means thousand miles. Right. And so we don't do that many. We do about half that. And in Italy, they all have to be 1957. I hope it's 57. It might be 59. 1957 or earlier. In the U.S., there's the 1957 or earlier group of cars, but you can also enter newer cars, which is why we were able to drive in a Stelvio, which you could not drive if you're doing the one in Italy. Um, some, these cars are amazing. And some of these people had their cars brought over from Italy. And they're these beautiful old vehicles. They were just gorgeous. And a lot of these guys, because apparently this kind of race is a lot more popular in Italy. Like, you can join car clubs and kind of, like, do this on your weekend. Like, we do cars and coffee. It's like, hey, let's do this rally this weekend. And the thing that was different for me, because I've never done this before. I don't know if you have, Sam. But you, it makes me think of the little... Um, Rubber tubes that you run over like in a gas station that was still self-service. And when you run it over, it goes like ping, ping to let you know you're in the gas station. Well, you hit one of those and then you have, say, 10 seconds to get to the next one. Exactly 10 seconds. Not 10.1, 10. And for every hundredth of a second you're off, you get a penalty. So, and then as soon as you hit the next one, the next one is, say, 18 seconds. And then the next one is 40 seconds. So you have stretches of these sort of time trials like that. And it's not like this distance is consistent. You might have to hit the same little distance in 10 seconds. It might be twice that for the next one, and it could still be 10 seconds. So it's not, it's not easy. Like, hitting that little rubber thing and then hitting that little rubber tube again, it's really hard. Like, it so, seems like it should so be easy. It's hard. So do you have pace hard. notes to work from? And that tell you, like, you know, your time for this segment is 20 seconds. And yeah. So here's they, the speed you need to be going to do they that. They don't tell seconds. you a speed. They just oh. tell you you have to get from, like, it'll, it'll be like, say there's five of them. It'll be like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 18 seconds, 17 seconds. So you know the time. And you have this little thing called a zero. It's the company that makes it. Mm-hmm. So it's a little time device that your navigator can use. And as you hit the first little tube, they can click it. And then you can see it counting down. So you have a sense of like, how far have I gone and how, like as a driver, how far have I gone and how far do I need to go in the however many seconds are remaining on that thing. But again, it's timing. Like it's not, it, that isn't tied into the tubes. So it's your matter of your navigator looking at it and going, you hit it now. And if they're a few, like a little bit over, a little bit under, then your guess is a little bit over, a little bit under. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and they spend the first day of the one in the U.S. as a warm-up day, and they basically teach you this. And then, you, so you spend the whole, you know, the day learning how to do that. And they also have some, the other sort of time thing, like you have to start the day at a certain time and end the day at a certain time to the minute. That's actually a little bit easier because um, they have a clock right there, and, you know, you need to come in at 3.42. You wait for it to 3.42. You pull up your hand on the card, you know, as long as you haven't gotten horribly lost and are late. Um, but the other thing you have to do is they'll have a stretch of road and it will say, okay, starting here from here, you have to drive at exactly 51 kilometers per hour for, you know, this many miles. So you, but it's not a straight line, a flat road, there's turns and there's hills and there's uphills. So your navigator is looking at an app and trying to make sure that you're staying on that average. And you as the driver are going a little bit faster, a little bit slower, a little bit faster, a little bit slower to stay on it. So it's all about this precision that you're trying to do. And um, 
we really, we'd never done it before. Completely never even tried this anywhere before. So we were novices at that. And I feel like we learned a lot. We came up with our own sort of little way of communicating, like for how fast to go and to slow down. And we did pretty good, Sam. We thought that we initially were like, I just want to finish and not be last. I just <laughs> want to finish and not be last. Like that was, that was my goal. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming based on your tone that you weren't last. I was not last. So they finish up the whole thing. This is cute because it's, it's outside of Washington, D.C. You go into the Italian embassy. So you're finishing on Italian soil. Mm. Cute, right? So uh, we're listening to the announcement. And I thought, okay, maybe for the later era, the post-Melia era, 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 maybe we'll get like third. We, we'd have to do really good today to get third. Let's see if we get third. Maybe we'll do it. And they announced the team that's in third. And I literally turned to Eileen and I'm like, oh, you know, I swear. I'm like, damn it. I, I must have screwed it up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I screwed it up. And then they're like, and in second place, team 19. And I'm like, wait, that's us. <laughs> so we actually got second place for the, for the modern cars. And they gave us a little trophy. And then what we didn't catch is in addition to getting second place for the modern car, we were the number one novice. We were the best finish for any novice regardless of the car, which means you get a guaranteed acceptance into the one in Italy. So I still have to have a car, you still pay the entry fee, you still have to do that. But I guess there's normally around 800-ish people who apply to drive in it in every year that are, have all the, they have the money, they have the car, they have everything is just right. But then the race organizers decide which cars they want. So they might only take like 600. So you're not guaranteed, even if you have everything good to go, that they will say, yes, you can race. Well, this little certificate that Eileen and I got means, like, as long as you get a car that fits, you can race. So is Alfa Romeo going to loan you an old, uh, well, an old the car other th- to, to race? Y- you know, I don't, I haven't figured everything out yet, but the other part of it is that, you know, where it can only be old cars, they do have um, an EV category that you can run in now. Ah. Of course, the EVs are not old cars. The EVs are new cars. So... It's TBD, TB, to be determined exactly what, how, who we will be uh, doing for Italy, um, because this literally, we just wrapped this up, I don't know, like a couple of days ago, it feels like, if not that long ago. So um, yeah, but it was, an, it was really amazing, and I got to say, the people in this rally, were, the organizers were some of the nicest, kindest, most supportive people I have ever experienced at any like, kind of rally or race event ever. They were so unbelievably nice and helpful. So, who, did did you did you and Eileen take turns driving and navigating, or did you just pick one nope. role? Nope. Eileen is truly of the two of us. Eileen's a better navigator, and I'm a think I'm a better precision driver. So I drove, and Eileen navigated, and okay. it worked perfectly the whole time. She had a little book, and she did everything. Um, we even practiced stuff, like I was trying to time stuff, and I was like, I'm having a hard time figuring it because. On an old car, they actually put a little piece of tape on your door sill, on your uh, window sill, like on your door, to help you with this. You can kind of eyeball where your tires are if you just sort of lean out the car, right? If you lean out the little way. You can't see that in a modern car because everything's too big because of all the safety things. So we had to sort of come up with a different way of trying to do it. And we were literally driving around Middleburg, and I'm like, okay, Eileen, you're going to pick stuff, and you're going to tell me how fast to get there, and we're just going to kind of count to practice. And she's like, okay. That trash can, that light post, those pink flowers, 18 seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, go. And I'm like, ah. So we were just kind of practicing in the morning to try to get a feel for things. Um, And she was a fabulous navigator. She was amazing. She got us where we needed to be. She didn't get us lost. 
um, she was really, really good. So we learned a lot and had a good time. And again, amazing people, both the contestants in the rally and the people that ran it were just so wonderful and supportive. And the police officers in Middleburg, shout out to those guys because there were some really nice guys. They recommended a place to us called Teddy's Pizza. Cops know pizza. It was really, really good. <laughs> pizza and donuts. <laughs> yeah, they were all, they gave me good pizza and good coffee. So thank you, Middleburg Police Department. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're, well, we'll have to see if we can hook you up with uh, a really cool EV that uh, that you can get over there next year. To, I know. There's there's you, options I mean, out there. You, it's June. You've, you've got the certificate that says you're in. I got so the certificate. Got, like I, I got the cool paper. I just got to, I just got to get a car to, to drive. And yeah, so we, so we're, you know, we, Getting the paper is actually a big deal. Like, we got to do it. We got the paper. We got to do it. So, <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. All right. Um, what have you been driving since you got home? So, since I got home, I've been driving a Nissan Z. And the color is, it's called Ikazuchi Yellow and Super Black. So, it's this bright yellow with a black roof. I have been telling people when they're like, I was meeting a friend for dinner, she's like, where are you? I'm look look for the highlighter in the parking lot. <laughs> it is so bright. It's this really bright yellow, which, like on a you know Nissan Rogue, would look ridiculous. On a Nissan Z, actually looks kind of cool. <laughs> it, yeah. it works. You know, it's it's one of those cars that can pull off that ridiculous <laughs> color. Um, but man, it is bright. And we were talking about this before the show. So I'm in New England, and the leaves are falling. I leaves can leave like what looks like rust, they're not stains, but just like rusty marks on your car. Like they look like rust. It's just the color of the leaves. My car looks like someone just threw rusty water all over it. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, this poor car. But there's no way to prevent it. And it just shows up so much on the yellow. And I'm like, it's this brilliant, beautiful yellow that looks like it's all covered with like rusty water smears. But it's really just the leaves. It's for some reason, they really show up on this car. So what, what do you think of driving it? It's super fun. It's really, really fun. So it has uh, a manual transmission. Uh, so I get to do the fancy footwork, which is fun because you just don't get very many cars with a manual transmission anymore. You just don't. Um, and if you know how to drive one, it's kind of sort of, it's sort of refreshing to get behind the wheel of one again. You know, it's fun to be able to get on the highway and traffic is heavy and you think, oh, I want to get around. I'm like, wait, I can downshift. I can get around those guys. And just to downshift and get around to heavier traffic and just the sort of sound and the visceral experience of driving a manual transmission. And this is a sporty car. This is a sports car. It's not pretending to be a sedan. It's not pretending to be something else. There's this no is... pretense of, you know, it's like fake yeah. back seats. You know. It's not like, oh, we can, you can put four people in here. No, you couldn't. Like, not a, no way. Like, we're not even giving you back seats. Nope, we're not even going there. Like, this is a two-passenger sports car that is all about being a sports car. And it does it well. It's it's unbelievably fun to drive. You know, you get that little bit of harshness on like potholed streets. You know, you feel it because of that sporty suspension, but like you're buying a sports car. Don't buy a sports car if you don't want a little bit of like, if you don't want a little bit of harshness to it. Like your, your trade-off is when you drive the streets to someplace like Michigan or New Hampshire, um, on occasion on side roads, it could rattle your fillings out. You won't care because when you get on the highway, you can do the whole downshift thing and go fast and have a good time and enjoy it. You're like, oh, worth it. Who needs fillings? And when so. you get on a twisting road, oh, oh, this car God. is so good. It's so fun. I really genuinely like this. And this is the second time I've driven this. We had the Ragtop Ramble um, in the summer, which we drive from Massachusetts up to Maine. 
and I had the blue one. There's a really bright blue. Um, I drove that one. It has a fantastic interior because there's blue accents in the te- mm-hmm. interior. Which I, I had was, that one back in July. Oh, it's so beautiful. So I drove that and had a chance to drive it in the summer, but for much less time. And I'm like, this is really fun. Now I've had it for most of this week that I've been home. I've been driving this. And I'm like, gosh, this is, this is a fun car. It's a little tight if you're tall because my husband is 6'3". And when he sits down in that thing, it is like just barely going to let him sit in there. Just barely. It's like, okay, fine, but don't get too comfy because you can't. Um, I think, and he sat in the driver's seat and I said, tell me, could you? And he's like, you know, it's so, it's, the proportions are so small that to shift, to do the footwork is almost a little hard when he's like, I, I don't have the room to His move my legs. knees are kind of up underneath. Yeah. The he's like, your knees kind of, he's like, it's, it's too, it's a little too tight. He's like this, you know, he's like, I, it was a sacrifice you'd be willing to make if it, you know, for the fun of it. He's like, but it is at six, three, it gets a little tight for somebody uh, just because there's just not that much room. But I mean, for everybody else, for people who aren't super tall, this is a, this is an unbelievably fun car and it's not outrageously expensive. It's around, depending on what you get, like let's call it 49 to 52 ish somewhere. It's like 50 ish thousand dollar car, which isn't cheap, but it's also not like you're not spending 80 grand on this, you know? So it's a somewhat affordable option in the grand scheme of sporty little cars. Um, and it looks well, actually, cool. the the base model, the the Z Sport, which yeah. has the same powertrain, same same yeah. same same power, uh, starts at forty thousand dollars. Okay, so even better. Yeah, yeah. see, I had the performance, so mine was a little bit higher, but yeah, forty grand, forty grand for a legit sports car. Like you're, they're not messing around. And you know, the funny thing is, I came out, I was at Target, like one does, and I was had parked the car, and these like young guys that were in this like souped up BMW because they were parked like you know we're heading parking and they were parked behind me and they're like checking out the car like wow they're all looking and I'm like this is gonna be funny because they're not thinking that. I'm the person that's going to get into the car. <laughs> and they're all checking. I click it to unlock it. And they like, look. And they see, and I can see them do this like, oh, I, nice, nice car. I'm like, thanks, guys. As <laughs> <It's like, laughs> they hop back into their little BMW. Um, so it does attract attention. Like a, a lot of people commented on it. Um, you know, we're looking at it. I mean, partly because it's the color of a highlighter, but it also is, it's a good looking car, you know, and it's, it's unbelievably fun to drive. If you're looking for a fun sports car that's not gonna make you broke that is fun to drive and has a nice little manual transmission nissan z it's worth and it, it and it's also you know practical enough you know for a weekend getaway with your with your partner um you know i happen to have had it in july right before my wife and i went on vacation uh-huh. and drove it to the airport and i dropped it off at the airport we picked up there's enough room in the back in the cargo area for two standard sized carry-on bags yeah. plus you know a couple of backpacks and a few other odds and ends so you know you there's enough room in there for you you know for you to get away for a few days and you know not have to figure out where you're gonna put all your stuff <laughs> well and you know it's funny you say that because i had to run to the grocery store today and i was not thinking about what i was driving and on my list was toilet paper and paper towels so i bought this giant you know, giant things of it. I literally, as I'm walking back to the car with my other gross, I'm like, oh, this might have been a mistake. <laughs> like, I may have made an error. I'm like, we're going to find out. Open it up. If you put it, because, you know, the roof, it's the, the glass is sloped. If you put it to the further back in their little trunk, hatchback mm-hmm. area, it fit. Like, yeah. I had the paper towels and the toilet paper on there. I'm like, 
they're not even squished against the glass. So there's like actually room. And the rest of my groceries fit in there too. So surprising amount of little amount of cargo room. You could actually, you can put stuff back there, which is nice. That's that's what happens when you don't bother trying to put a fake back seat in. Exactly. Instead, you have usable cargo room, which is far better because no one's going to ride in the back seat of all those those little sports cars that say we have seating for four. No, you don't. You have four seatbelts. That's yeah, not the same as having seat seating belts for four. And you can seat two humans. That's yes. it. <laughs> oh, excellent. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Um, well, I also had something uh, fairly sporty that also yes. had a six-speed manual transmission, Ooh. Uh, which which surprised me. Um, it was the, uh, the 2022 VW Jetta GLI Autobahn. Um, so this is basically, uh, you know, a GTI with a trunk is, is what it is. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, if you like driving a GTI, you will, you will like driving this. Now, you know, personally, if, if I was buying, you know, I, and smaller cars like this or, you know, small to mid-sized cars, I like having a hatchback. I like that, that extra flexibility of that large rear opening. But, you know, this is a sharp-looking car. You know, I think it, it's better looking than the previous generation Jetta. Um, and, frankly, there's not that many sedans left in this segment. You know? mm-hmm. So if you want a sedan, the Jetta is one of the few that you can still get. And just about the only one you can still get with a manual transmission if you get the GLI. Um, so this has a uh, 2-liter uh, turbocharged 4-cylinder um, uh, direct injected, 228 horsepower, 258 pounds feet of torque. So it's, it's the exact same powertrain that you get in a GTI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically, you know, essentially the same suspension setup, you know, just adjusted marginally for you know, the, the weight and, and weight differences and so on, but essentially the same setup. And with the, the Autobahn, you get these really sharp looking alloy wheels that, you know, kind of twisted around, um, twisted spokes. Uh, the, some, the one I had was in this uh, lovely red, shade of red. Ooh, nice. uh, and it had some red accents, uh, like, you know, in the, in the grill, 
uh, the lower part of the like the the lower front corners you know for what looked like the brake ducts they're, they've got little red bits of trim around there uh red brake calipers of course oh i see it i just loaded up volkswagen yeah. site that's slick looking yeah that looks good um it's got you know comes with a sunroof on on this one um seats are comfortable the uh, six-speed manual is a slick shifting gearbox um the um the engine is fairly torquey uh you know i mean it's not it's not a muscle car but it's plenty quick enough and you will have a lot of fun tossing this thing around uh you know it's got that that classic vw handling you know when you when you really push it you know it'll it'll lift the inside rear wheel um a little bit and and uh you know you can you can balance it with a little bit of adjustment on the on the accelerator pedal um so you know it was it was great fun to drive uh really enjoyed it this one um the infotainment system is not like the one that's in the the id4 um so it's a little bit better interface uh it still has some physical controls on there it does have the the touch controls on the steering wheel um mm-hmm. for the uh for the various controls on the the nine and three spokes um and they it does have haptic feedback so it's actually you know it's not the worst touch control setup I've found on <laughs> steering on a steering wheel. I don't know. Um, it's, it's not the worst. I no, like no. I mean, it actually feels it actually feels like it's clicking. So good. it's it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, although there was a story this week, um, you know, uh, a VW executive. I think it might have been Oliver Bloom, the new CEO. Um, somebody from VW was saying that yeah, we're 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 going back from those. We're going to get rid of those and put proper physical switches on there again. Oh, on um, the steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they'll they'll be getting physical controls back. Didn't say anything about whether the ID4 will also be getting some physical controls below the instead of the touch controls below the touch screen. Okay. Uh, that would be nice. But yeah. you know, this this is about the the Jetta GLI, um, and you know, if you if you want a you know compactish to slight um, you know lower midsize sedan with a manual transmission. Um, you might want to go and grab one of these uh, because I have a feeling that this this may be the last one that's available in the marketplace. Yeah, um, I think did, you might be right, I mean, Sam. I, I tend think, to well, agree with you. you can still get you. a manual in the the Civic, right? The Civic sedan. Uh, the Civic, I think, still hasn't. But like, what's yeah. it two? Are yeah, two. So it's basically this <laughs> and this and the Honda Civic. Uh, yeah. So if you if you want a manual in a sedan. These are your. These are probably your last choices. Like, and, and buy it now frankly, or forever hold your peace because yeah, they're not going to be around long. Right, they're, and they're both great choices. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're they're both a lot of fun to drive. This has a little more power than what you can get in a, at least in a Civic, you know, SI or or any of the standard Civics. Obviously, not not uh, up to where a Type R is, but um, you know, for a more mainstream model, this has plenty of performance. Really enjoyed driving it. Um, the uh, price. Uh, back here uh was uh here we go thirty two thousand eight hundred and thirty five dollars including the destination charge you want to guess what the chart destination oh um destination let's see uh 12.95 oh you went over by 200 bucks oh it was close thousand and ninety five bucks thousand and ninety five dollars okay well it's pretty close so you know for for 30 you know just on just shy of thirty three thousand dollars you know this thing comes really well equipped yeah a lot of fun to drive um you know and 
it's one of the one of a dying breed of manual transmission sedans in a in a reasonable size. Buy it while you can, people. It's going bye bye. You know it is. They're all go. There's not going to be yeah. manuals around for that much longer. Uh, there. I would I would give I would give the the Jetta GLI. You know, probably another two, maybe three years at most. You think? Yeah. That makes me kind of sad. Yeah, I know. It's a fun little car. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the DSG is not bad, but the manual's better. I know. There's something about, like, I know there's just something about smashing the pedal to the floor and mm-hmm. shifting. Like, there's there's the, the moat going through the motions of driving a manual. It's just fun. You and, cannot and doing get it well that without is a very satisfying experience. Yes, like when you do it, per, like when you feel like I just nailed that, like I got it perfectly. You're like, yeah, like you feel like a race car driver. You're not, but you feel like <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, I went out last last Saturday. It was like 75 degrees here, and the sun was shining, and all the the leaves had turned color. And I went and took the uh, Miata out for a drive for a couple of hours. And it, oh, oh, nice! It so lovely. Uh, see, because you don't have any more days like that. Is it yeah. cold? It's like, I think it's supposed to drop in the 20s here tonight. I believe my low is 29, which it, is it, horrifying. It was it was about 60 here today. Uh, it did get warm today, but I'm looking at tonight's low. 29. Oof. Damn. It's too cold. I disapprove. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to get down to 33 today. Yeah, but see? But 60, 64 and sunny tomorrow. That's see, But that's perfect. You can take the Miata yeah. out for another little drive. Yeah. That's perfect driving weather. Absolutely. As long as the temperature is above 40 and there's no salt on the road, I will yeah, keep Yeah, then you're okay. Out. Yes, yeah. I agree. Um, all right. Um, let's see. There's uh, some – well, let's talk about another car that I think both of us had a chance to drive a couple of weeks okay. ago. Uh, the embargo's lifted since the last time that uh, we recorded, which is the Toyota Crown. You, oh, you the, the Crown. Yeah. I did drive the Crown, yes. So the Crown is a replacement for the Avalon. Mm-hmm. Brings back a – a badge, a nameplate that has been it go, it started what seventy years ago, and it's yeah. been on sale continuously in Japan. But they they dropped the crown br- nameplate here in North America in 1973, so it's almost 50 years since they sold it, since Toyota sold a crown here right. in the U.S. And it's coming back in early 2023 as a big sedan. Mm-hmm. It's a little different. What did you think of it? Um, I like. Did, but I didn't love <laughs> well, <there's a> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Toyota. <laughs> Look, I made Sam. I like killed him. I've killed my co-host. Um, no, I, I, I liked it. I didn't think it was... I guess I wanted it to... I love how... I think the styling is kind of neat. I like how the two-tone thing they have going on where you can get that like black hood and the black roof. It makes it look kind of fun and sporty. Like mm-hmm. I think it looks better than an Avalon. Um, I don't know that I feel like the drive was particularly amazing like it it was i feel like fine is such an insult but it was fine like everything was solid everything was good the interior is fine the infotainment everything was fine but nothing was particularly overly impressive to me what did you think sam yeah i mean it's it's kind of an odd car because it's a sedan it's a fastback sedan so yeah. you know sort of coupish fastback sedan but it's four inches taller than the avalon but it only has an extra half inch of ground clearance. So like it so, looks like it should be like, oh, I got kind of an SUV thing, but not quite. And it's like, yeah. no, not even close. Because you really didn't, you get no SUV-ish gl- ground clearance. You just have a little bit of that styling to it. Yeah. And and you would think that, okay, 
they've kept the floor roughly where it was before. They lifted mm-hmm. the roof by four inches. This thing's going to be cavernous inside. And it's not. It's got basically the same interior dimensions as the Avalon did. Yeah. Which means that, you know, they lifted the floor and the roof by four inches. Yeah. And you've there's like three and a half inches of empty space under it, maybe? Yeah. It's, I, it's hard to tell. It's, my my guess is when I when I went back and looked at the specs, my thought was, okay, they must have designed this to package protect it for a battery pack for an EV. Yes. And at some point, you know, they will launch a battery electric version of this. I've actually, it's funny that you say that because uh, several of the people I was talking to at the launch as we were talking about what you've just said, said they've, it's got to be an EV. It's got to be because there's an EV. Co- Every, everyone had that same sense, like not next week, but like it's somewhere down the line. But this does have, the one thing that was cool, they have a new, the powertrain, and I'm desperately, mm-hmm. they call it a hybrid max. Am I getting this yeah. right? Yeah, so, so hy- it's standard hybrid across the board on all three trim levels. Right. There's two different hybrid systems. Yes. So the hybrid, there's the hybrid, and kind of think like a hybrid. It drives like one. There's nothing new. But then it's, they have the hybrid max, which is, it does have better performance. Oh, like yeah. It, it, is, it is a significant difference. So, but you also take a fuel economy hint. So if you're buying the hybrid, a, a hybrid car, because you're like, okay, I'm all about fuel economy. Gas prices are going through the roof. My budget's going to be out the window. I'm really focused on that fuel economy. I have a long commute. I'm driving all over. You get much better performance out of the Hybrid Max, but it was a pretty big fuel economy hit, as I recall. And, of course, I can't find the figures as I'm it's, looking at this. It's, it's about 30, 31 miles per gallon combined for the Hybrid Max and 41 for the standard Hybrid. So you're talking about 10 MBG. That's yeah. That's but, not, it's not like, you it's know, not for a, a car this amount. size, 30, yeah. 30 miles per gallon is not bad. Well, it's still good. That's what I mean. It's not bad for this car, but like, there's a big difference when you go mm. to hybrid max. You, you definitely like sometimes, you know, like when you look at like a front wheel drive, all wheel drive car, it's like, oh, you lost two MPG. It's like, oh no, you lose a lot of MPG when you go from the hybrid to the hybrid max. So I, I still think I would do that though. I would still go with the max because I liked how it drove so much better. It would be worth it to me. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. So the, the base powertrain is the, the traditional Toyota hybrid system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, the, it's basically the same powertrain that was in the Avalon and you'll find in the Sienna and the Highlander and the Camry hybrids uh, and, and the RAV4. 2.5 liter four-cylinder with the, uh, the hybrid, the ECVT hybrid. So mm-hmm. you know, when you're accelerating, it'll rev up to 4,000 RPM and sit there at 4,000 RPM waiting for the car to catch up you know, to speed. <laughs> um, it is all-wheel drive, um, but it's like all-wheel drive. It's on-demand all-wheel drive. So it, it'll only put about 10 or 15% of the torque on the rear axle. It's electric rear, electrically driven rear axle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, so it's it is essentially the exact same powertrain that you will find in a Highlander hybrid, Rav4 hybrid, or the um, Sienna uh, the Sienna, which is a standard hybrid. Yeah. Then the Hybrid Max is the same setup that is in the Lexus RX 450h or four, uh, 450h F Sport or the four, 500 RX 500. I'm going to admit I'm now last it's, in the it's, alphabet it's, soup there, it's, Sam. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the it's the top of the line. Lexus R, new Lexus RX, whatever whatever number goes with that, um, and it that's a two point four liter um, turbo four cylinder, and mm-hmm. instead of the the continuously variable transmission, it's got a standard six speed automatic 
mm-hmm. hybrid system. And that one, it has a more powerful electric motor on the rear axle. So it's doing all-wheel drive all the time. So it feels a lot better balanced. It's a lot more responsive when you want to accelerate. You do give up that, you know, that fuel economy. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a lot more enjoyable to drive, a lot more yeah. pleasant to drive. I would, without a doubt, go with a hybrid max engine powertrain. I'd do that without yeah. even having to think about it. I'm like, oh, that's the one right there. That's what you want. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the trunk size is is pretty decent. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's it's big enough to accommodate. I think four um, you know carry on bags on their sides. Um, yeah. And and then you know some additional detritus in there. Uh, the you know it's the back seat is fairly roomy, but again you know based given the height you know you have you have a, a taller hip point, so it's easier to get in and out of. So you're not dropping down into it. So for those of us that are getting old, you know, it's it's a little easier to get in and out of. Well, uh, I, and that that actually is a big like you know, my mom is is has mobility issues, so very often when I take her out to lunch and we have various cars, it's a little test of like just how easy is this for someone who is not spry any longer. Mm-hmm. And I literally thought about them like this: the seating position, the the way that hip point is, that would be much easier for her to get into. So if you if you have mobility issues or if you're frequently carrying those who do this could be a much this is definitely a a good car to at least test drive at some point and check it out because i think it is going to be easier for people who are having a little trouble getting in and out of a car yeah and it's got the the new toyota infotainment system Mm -hmm. uh which is quite nice you know aside from the the one complaint i've registered on a couple of occasions before that it will only show you one thing at a time you can't do a split screen with navigation and your audio controls on the screen at the same time but I do love how responsive it is. Mm-hmm. Like when you yeah. say, hey, Toyota, most of the time it hears you on the first try and it does a really good job of like, hey, Toyota, where's the nearest Starbucks? And it's like, here's your Starbucks, Nicole. Like it finds it pretty quick. It's not like, here's Star Sword. I'm like, what? That's not what I said. You know, it, it, <laughs> it does a good job of figuring out what it is that you said on the first try. And I, that's, that's a big deal for me. And, and unlike the Lexus RX that absolutely positively refused to recognize my voice <laughs> under any circumstances. <laughs> But always recognize Tanya's voice, Tanya Gadzik, who I was You're, you're really bitter about this. You've mentioned this more than once. If you're holding a grudge. <laughs> Just a little. The, but the, the crown every t- worked perfectly every time. See? Never a Go, flaw. crown, go. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, on the day that I was there, on the wave I was there, was the day they made the announcement that Toyota was switching away from Amazon Alexa voice services to Google Cloud uh, AI voice services. So basically using the same Google Assistant voice recognition system. So the the way the voice rec works in, in this new Toyota system uh, is, you know, you say something, it uh, if you have if it has connectivity, it'll send it up to the cloud, do the voice recognition and, and return whatever response is appropriate. Um, and then if you it's got a subset of that built into the car if you don't have uh if you don't have good connectivity mm-hmm. and um so they were able to change all this on the back end without and so across all the vehicles all the new toyota and lexus vehicles that have this new infotainment system they were able to just flip a switch and switch over from amazon to google voice recognition Which is um, cool. so you know that you know the google voice I, I talked to you know their um the head of that group and he said, yeah, they made the switch because the Google Voice uh, recognition w- works better, was more mm. reliable, 
um, you know, and it was able to recognize more things yeah. than the Alexa voice services. That's good because the thing that holds, I think always holds me back from using voice recognition on a car. And I, I make this assumption when I get in and I, I have to like, no, you got to try it out. Is that I sp- feel like I spend so much time yelling into the air while I'm driving yeah. <laughs> repeatedly. And I, I get so frustrating. I'm like, it drives me nuts. So it, it makes me not want to use the voice activated stuff. And it's great to be able to. So I feel like the, Every last little bit of better recognition that they can put in there, huge. So that's that's good news. And I can't remember the pricing on the crown. Uh oh, it's free. Let's <laughs> no, see. No, nothing. Is that nothing how it is, goes? There's no pricing on it. It's free. Wait, I'm looking to see if I see it here. Was it listed in this? Uh, I gotta find my uh, brain cramp. My Guys, we were unprepared. You. Sorry. I know. I'm looking at it right now. Where did you put it in here? I'm reading your review. Did you not put pricing? Uh, oh, thirty nine nine fifty. Okay. For the XLE, which is oh, the base model. Okay. Um, and uh, the limited is forty five, five fifty. Um, and oh, sorry, no, the platinum, as usual, middle. Sorry, mid level oh, limited, the, which no mid level limited. The price for the the lim, for the platinum for some. No, reason. you just have the limit. You just have the mid level uh, limited, which is forty five five fifty. Okay. Yeah. So. So I think I think the platinum is around forty nine. So okay. around. Around so close to 50 good, grand. Yeah, so still, I mean, again, a reasonable price. This isn't like a base-level, entry-level sedan. This is sitting at, like, the top of the Toyota lineup. It's mm-hmm. got all the new bells and whistles. It's, so that pricing actually fits, I think, with what you're, with what you're getting. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a good-looking car. Yeah. And, and roomy. It's good. I like it. I mean, I don't dislike it. Yeah. I, I, it it's, it, you know, it's, it's different. There's drawbacks to it, but I think overall... Thumbs up. Good job, yeah. Toyota. Especially, especially in the two-tone. Yeah. The two-tone makes it look so slick. Yeah. Some people really hate it. I love the two-tone. I think the, that makes it look the really red, good. The red and black was my favorite. Mm-hmm. It looks really yeah. good. I'm with you. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up. Uh, there. Oh. Uh, yes. Ford, Ford, Ford uh, announced the 2023 Escape. Uh, so mid-cycle Escape. update for the Escape. The Escape. Um, which... Uh, is uh, basically um, just a new face um, with a wider grill uh, and new headlights. Um, they changed think, their trim lineup. They gave it new yeah. names. It's yep. like base and active and yeah. I don't remember those. The only two I remember. Uh, they're, they're, well, no, there's <laughs> no, the, the active is the base trim. Okay. So there's active, uh, platinum, uh, PHEV, and the ST line. Okay. Uh, so the, the plug-in hybrid is now its own trim level. Um, yep. And then ST line is uh, sort of the sportier-looking monochromatic. So instead of the black wheel arches, it's got body-colored wheel arches and mirrors and everything. Uh, so it's not it, – if you get the ST line with all-wheel drive, the there is a little bit of uh, retuning of the damping and, and the springs uh, to give it uh, a little better little better handling. But otherwise, there's no other mechanical changes for the ST line, so it's not mm-hmm. really going to be any faster. Um, you just pay a little bit more for it. The big difference um, is in the interior, uh, where it now has the same 13.2-inch touchscreen that you'll find in the updated Corsair, Lincoln mm-hmm. Corsair, uh, and in the, um, uh, the Nautilus and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, it's widely used across a bunch of Ford and Lincoln vehicles. Um, and it's got Sync 4 now, uh, updated electronic architecture, so it can support OTA updates for everything. 
Um, but the downside of this bigger screen is they got rid of the physical climate control buttons that wah, used to be wah. underneath the, uh, the center vents. And so now they have a row, a, it's a permanent row of touch controls along the bottom of the screen, but they're still touch controls that you have to look at. You can't just yeah. reach over and give it a twist or uh, tap to uh, change the... I feel uh, like it's it was like an inter, it, like an in between like well, we're going to give you this nice fancy new big screen, but we can't quite do everything we want to do just yet. You have to wait for the all new before that happens. Yeah. You know, that's my thought. Yep. Um, but the screen does look nice, uh, and it's um, it's it, you do it, you do have um, a physical volume knob, so you still do have you know, have some physical controls. That's just cool. not just not for the climate controls. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, no pricing on it yet, uh, but the order banks are open, and uh, they should be hitting dealers early in the new year. Yeah, so not too long. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, the GMC revealed the Sierra EV Denali Edition 1, uh, which is uh, their, their version of the Silverado EV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got distinct styling from the Silverado. Um, you know, it's, it's very GMC ish styling, you know, (laughs) sharper creases, you know, uh, more professional grade, I think is the, uh, the correct terminology there. Yes. I believe that's the correct lingo. Yeah. Um, and I, I like, I like the look, it's Mm. a good good looking truck. Um, you know, same size as the Sierra or as the Silverado, um, which means it's also the same size as the, uh, um, the F-150 Lightning, but like the Silverado, it's got the. Um, the unibody setup, like the old Chevy Avalanche, so the bed is not separated from the mm-hmm. cab. Um, <clears throat> you've got the cab is you know a little bit longer than what you get on the Lightning. It's, it's the same same architecture as the the Silverado, and it has the midgate. So with the midgate folded down and the multi-flex tailgate folded down with the the stopper up, you get almost 11 feet of cargo space. Um, and they were showing it off with a, an inflate of ha- a half inflated inflatable paddleboard. In <laughs> uh, Only half inflated. Just, I feel like they should have gotten one that was the right size to inflate the whole thing. <laughs> well, it, it was the right size. They just didn't pump it all the way up. You can oh, see, okay. see the wrinkles in it because it got it at full pressure. Got it. Uh, but it was it was you know an eleven foot paddleboard. Okay. Um, and um, interestingly, at the time. When they showed it to us and uh, you know gave us the backgrounder on it uh, a few days before they unveiled it, they told us that on the Denali Edition One, which is going to be the first one that comes out, mm-hmm. uh, which all, by the way is already sold out. Um, so if you were hoping to reserve one of those, you know, you're out of luck. Of course um, it is. They won't tell us how many that is. So it could be five. It could be five thousand. It could be fifty thousand. Two people who got we, one. We don't know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they told us, you know, it's a dual motor setup. They told us it would have 754 horsepower and 785 foot pounds of torque, which is more than the 580 and 775 you get in the lightning. Mm-hmm. It's also more than the 660 horsepower that you, that Chevy told us the Silverado would have when they unveiled it last January. Um, right after GMC took the wraps off the, uh, the Silverado EV, Chevy came out and said, oh, we're going to have the same 754 horsepower available. Yeah. So, <clears throat> whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, more, more than enough horsepower. Um, All the horses uh, you could want. Yeah. 
same 200 kilowatt hour battery pack that's in the Hummer EV and the, the high end Silverados. Um, they wouldn't talk about how much it weighs still, which means that it probably weighs somewhere between 8,000 and 8,500 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have the, uh, uh, the four wheel steering. And unlike the Silverado, which will not support crab, crab mode, um, this, the Sierra will have crab mode. Like, I love crab mode, but I feel like it's not something, how often, like, really realistically, realistically, how often do you think someone's going to truly, honestly need crab mode? About uh, three times in Ever. their life. In the whole yes. time that they own just, the vehicle. Just enough times to show it off to their friends. That's true. I guess for those three times you use it. Yeah. Like, look at what my truck yeah, can I guess do. It, depend, it depends, on, depends on how many friends you have that you want to show it off to. Oh, so so more popular. So if you have more people, friends, you'll that might you'll be like more. six times less yeah. popular people, one or two. Okay, yeah. so it's all a popularity contest. Oh, it's like high school all over again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's got got a front trunk, um, got all the uh, power outlets. It'll have bi-directional charging capability, like the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be standard on here, um, and uh, nineteen point two kilowatt onboard charger, so you can. At a, at um, about a hundred miles uh, in about uh, ten minutes, um, or sorry, that's that hundred hundred miles ten minutes will be with three fifty kilowatt DC fast charging. Okay. Um, but the the on the nineteen point two kilowatt charger will um, refill that two hundred kilowatt hour battery pack uh, easily overnight. Um, GM is saying zero to sixty times going to be about four and a half seconds, four hundred mile range. Uh, and, uh, it should be able to get, that means it should be able to get about 200 miles when you're towing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the, uh, the Sierra EV Denali edition one won't be coming out until early 2024. So almost a year almost a year after the Silverado. Uh, so it's going to be a while. And then the, I wonder other- why, was there anything said about why the wait is so long? Is this like no. the, the, this, uh, the, who knows, production yeah, chips? They, I guess they want to crank out Silverados chain, first. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Um, one interesting detail about the interior is unlike the Silverado, which has a landscape 17 and a half inch display. Yeah. Um, this one has a 16.8 inch portrait style touchscreen display with a volume knob on it, just Ooh. like a lightning. I was going to say, when you look at this image, it's so like, like screen that looks just like a lightning. Yep. It's exactly the same thing that's on the lightning and the Mach-E. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, uh, and I think <laughs> it's funny, uh, Mike Levine, uh, who's uh, director of North American Product Communications at Ford, tweeted out after this came out, said, uh, hey, guys, uh, he tweeted to GMC, hey, guys, uh, just let us know we can send you over the CAD drawings for that. Oh, did he really? He, yeah. My God, that's awesome! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so the edition one is going to cost one hundred and seven thousand dollars plus delivery charge, um, and uh, they will have uh, versions starting uh, from about seven, or the let's see fifty. Uh, I think it says the elevation will start at fifty. So fifty thousand dollars. So in the zone of like what kind of what you'd expect for base models of yeah. an EV. Yeah, I mean that's that's the same price now as the Lightning Pro. Right, the Lightning right. Pro price is up to $51,000 now. So in the right, so not a crazy price. 107, yeah. woo, that's crazy, but the starting price 50, eh, yeah, that's about on right. Yep. 
Um, all right. What else do we have? Um, staying with EVs. Um, yes. BMW made a big announcement uh, down in Spartanburg um, that uh, starting in 2025 or no, 26, they're going to start building EVs in Spartanburg. They didn't say which models, but uh, electric versions of their very, some of their SUVs uh, based on their new Noya class platform. Um, they're investing $1.7 billion to tool up for EVs, a billion for the assembly plant, another $700 million to build a new battery pack assembly plant. Wow. And then Envision AESC, which um, started off as a joint venture between Nissan and NEC to build batteries for the LEAF, and then was sold off to a, another company called Envision, um, is building a nearby cell plant that will be providing the cells for BMW, uh, mm. a 30-gigawatt-hour uh, roughly uh, cell plant. Um, and uh, that's gonna, they're going to be spending about $3.5 billion on that plant. They're investing so, some serious cash there. They are. And they're planning to churn out a lot of EVs. Um, I think the, the Spartanburg plant has a capacity of 450,000 units a year. Wow. Um, that's it's, a lot of cars. B, it's BMW's largest plant anywhere in the world. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, their largest assembly plant. And, I didn't know that. Uh, that plant is also the single largest exporter of cars from the U.S. Uh, and you know of of any, you know roughly I think no they kidding. export about two hundred and fifty thousand vehicles a year. So it's there. not even like most of them are staying here. A huge chunk of them is going. Yeah, about about <laughs> a, a little more than a third of their production uh, goes overseas okay. because most of the models they build there, the X five, the X six, the X three, the X seven, are only built there. So they're building those vehicles, those big SUVs for, for the, the global market. Yeah. Um, so, and they, they export more than any other plant in the U.S. Um, wow. And uh, they're saying uh, about, they'll have a, uh, about 300,000 units. They're, they're initially going to have about 300,000 units of EV production there. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, Uber, um, yes. if, you're, uh, if you're taking an Uber uh, in the coming months, you will probably find that it will be taking fewer left turns. This makes me think of UPS because UPS mm -hmm. are supposed to follow a path where they make as few left turns as possible because it wastes less time and gas and they can get more done in a day if they don't make and left safer turns. Too. And safer because you have to cross across traffic. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, FedEx and UPS and other delivery companies have been using this strategy for more than a decade of you know doing routing instead of making a left turn they'll they'll, they'll go around and do three right turns because it's it's a lot safer and, and you spend less time sitting there waiting in at intersections to do left turns right. whereas you can usually usually go through do do your right turns right away yeah um, and Uber is going to be doing the same thing um, they've they've got their own routing engine built into the Uber app for drivers now and so they'll they'll be doing um, They'll be doing few, setting up the routes with as few left turns as they can get away with. So you wonder how many people who know, like, you know, since you're taking Uber and you have no idea where you are, you just are, okay, fine. But if you're in a town or someplace where you know and suddenly you're like, wait, it's left there. And the driver's like, no, I got to go right. I got to go right. Yeah. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll be there in a minute. We'll be there in a second. Hold on. My thing says I have to turn right here. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. 
Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Last item, um, do you know what Argo AI is? I remember hearing about Argo AI, and now it looks like it is no more. Yeah. Uh, Argo AI is uh, a company that was started in late 2016 by Brian Selesky and Pete Rander. Uh, Brian was formerly at uh, the Google self-driving car project, uh, led software development there. And he was, he was also the, the software lead on the Carnegie Mellon team that won the 2007 DARPA Grand Challenge. Um, and Pete uh, was uh, from, also from Carnegie Mellon, and he worked at Uber ATG on their self-driving car stuff. Um, they started Argo in late 2016. And in early 17, um, Ford invested a billion dollars in Argo. A billion uh, dollars. That's a chunk of money, man. Yep. Uh, and Argo was set up to develop uh, automated vehicles, level four automated vehicles. And Ford decided that instead of developing that stuff in-house, they would fund Argo to do it for them. Later on, Volkswagen joined in mm-hmm. and they took a stake. So Ford and VW each owned 80% of Argo. And then the founders owned the other 20%. Um, uh, and they've been working on this stuff for almost six years now. Um, they've actually um, had vehicles running, um, automated Ford Escapes running on Lyft mm-hmm. uh, in Austin, Texas, and Miami uh, for several months now. Um, and I was actually, I'm going to be in Austin in a couple of weeks, and I was I was planning on you know, popping into downtown Austin and taking a ride in uh, the Argo vehicles, but now I won't have that opportunity because they, during Ford's uh, earnings call, third quarter earnings call the other day, they announced, um, yeah, we're we're gonna Argo's gonna shut down. Um, we're, you know, we've John Lawler or uh, Jim Farley, the the CEO of Ford, said, you know, we've come to the realization that it's gonna take a long time to get to profitable scale um, with robo taxi and automated delivery services, um, and we're gonna focus on doing level two and level three driver assist systems for now, and what was left unsaid was, you know, also that we're spending many tens of billions of dollars on electrification. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so Ford and Argo or Ford and VW pulled their funding from Argo. Argo was hoping to do an IPO this year. Um, yeah. but the way the market is that obviously became a non-starter right. and they were looking for other investors and nobody seemed to be interested in stepping up to, uh, uh, to put in money. Um, and so they all gave up and they're shutting it down. You know, it's interesting because like you looked at when this was 2017, when they were really going full bore and mm-hmm. there was this sort of move on automakers. Like we're going to have all the self-driving technology. We're going to have it so fast. You guys aren't going to believe it. And we're going to have taxes. It'll take you everywhere. And we're going to do all this and we're doing electric vehicles. It's like, you guys, that's all, all of that. All of those things are super duper expensive and not all simple and easy and straightforward. And, you're putting a lot of stuff into two very expensive areas where you where are going to get your most bang for your buck and it's like well maybe the robo taxi is not the way to go and the ev is so you can see it makes business sense like you can't mm-hmm. it, it, none of it it was it, you know when we're all listening it's like we're going to be we're going to even drive cars by 2022 like forget it they're going to drive themselves there was this sort of like hype about it 
that I think anybody looking at the inside was sort of like, that's not going to happen like that. And surprise, it's not going to happen like that. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I remember, you know, Travis Kalanick, the former CEO of uh, Uber, mm-hmm. talking about, you know, we're going to have robo taxis on the road in 2018, you know, yeah. start start getting rid of human drivers in our, in our Uber vehicles. And it's like, yeah. Mm, Not nope. going to happen. I mean, that's a really nice idea. Cool. Um, but no. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that's uh, one, you know, I, I've been, I've long been predicting that, you know, there would be a, a, a consolidation and a calling in the EV sector there, you know, by the time, by the time this stuff really got up to scale, there would probably be four, maybe five or six companies doing this mm-hmm. stuff globally. And I really thought Argo, cause Argo had some really good technology. It really did good seem people. kind of they processing, were, uh, promising. Yeah. It's surprising that yeah. this is one of the ones that didn't make it, you know? Yeah. And you know, I mean, I've ridden in the Argo vehicles on several occasions and <clears throat> the system worked really well. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I expected them to be one of the survivors, and yeah, they they ran out of runway. It's um, just hard, and, and you know, it's also like they you won't said, be the last. It's a time where, like, with what's happening with the stock market, stock market, and the economy right now, like investing in any kind of company. I guess you are they still considered a startup, but like these these companies like this becomes a heck of a lot more risky, you know. And investors aren't necessarily willing to dump in millions and millions of dollars to keep these things running if they're not don't feel a relative amount of certainty that they're going to get their money back on their investment. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. you're right. Well, it's I mean, only the when first. You, when you look at <clears throat> some of the um, AV companies uh, that have gone public mm-hmm. uh, in the past year and a half, like Aurora, Chris Ermson's company, mm-hmm. uh, Too Simple, um, Kodiak, and, and others, their stock prices are all down like 80 to 90% yeah. from their peak. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, there was no way that, that Argo was going to be able to go public and raise any significant amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's a shame. Yeah, it's too bad. But, you know, something else, I feel bad for the company and the people involved because it's always hard when that happens at a place that you work. But, you know, it'll someplace else will pick up the slack. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just going to sort of shift it from them to somebody else who has either the funding or the tools or whatever. So it's always sad when it happens. It's like, it doesn't mean that it's over. It's just... It's going to have to go to somebody else. They just couldn't yep. quite do it, you know? All right. Um, last item for this week. I had the opportunity yesterday to uh, have a chat with uh, probably the best-dressed CEO in the auto industry, uh, Stefan Winkle- Winkleman. <laughs> um, he is the CEO of Lamborghini. Um, and uh, he's always always sharply dressed every time you ever see him at an auto show or somewhere. Um, very handsome man. Um, anyway, uh, Stefan and I had a chance to chat yesterday for about, uh, 20 minutes or so, um, talked about the, you know, where Lamborghini's going, the future of the brand, um, going electric eventually, um, going hybrid first and then going electric. Um, so I'm going to drop that in here. Okay. Um, and, um, before, uh, before do, you know, please make sure you listen to that. Um, let's say goodbye. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right. Well, hello, and uh, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you. We've we've uh, never spoken before, um, but uh, it's uh, you know I'd like to you know it's it's been interesting watching the transformation of Lamborghini over the last 15, 20 years. You know during during your tenure with the company, you know, uh, both your original tenure and now again, 
uh, you know, sales have grown more than tenfold in that time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really um, become a very, very much a, a very different brand, but in, in many ways, very much, um, you know, sticking with the, the heritage of Lamborghini. And uh, I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, kind of where, where you see Lamborghini today and where you see the brand going in the, in the next decade. So, you know, that uh, the brand uh, today is uh, a company which has uh, three model lines. We worked uh, in the last uh, almost 20 years very much on building up a clear brand story by uh, creating a business case uh, from the two model company, putting deliveries in place, few offs, one offs, and then adding a third model to um, foster the results and to enable the company uh, to grow further uh, in the future. Now, the next big challenge is to have uh, a clear uh, transition between internal combustion engines into the hybridization first in the next couple of years, and then to move into full electrification starting uh, from the end of this decade. So these are the big uh, uh, challenges of uh, uh, the next uh, uh, couple of years, and uh, for sure, uh, the entire decade uh, of the 20s. Yeah, a, a big part of the, uh, you know, Lamborghini, the way people think of Lamborghini uh, has been, you know, obviously the way they look, you know, they've always had, uh, you know, a, a, a distinct look about them. You know, they've been very, um, yeah, very aggressive looking, but um, also the the sound and the visceral experience. You know, the the sound of a Lamborghini V12 is unlike anything else. And uh, yeah, I'm curious. You know how how do you keep the Lamborghini feel? You know that that visceral experience of a Lamborghini as you move forward into the era of electrification, first with hybridization and then uh, with um, with full electric. So there are, uh, there are four elements which are for us the key identifiers of a Lamborghini. One is the design, and uh, we will continue to have a very distinctive and very recognizable design, but also very different from uh, one generation to the next. The second one is the Hard facts in terms of performance means the numbers, seconds and mileage, top speed and things like this, lap time. And the third one is the perceived performance. So how you perceive the emotion of driving a Lamborghini, which is not always one-on-one -on, -one on uh, let's say, the, the naked number. And then the fourth one, as you said, is the sound. So in the, in the years to come, the sound will be safeguarded. So with internal combustion engines on the hybrids, we will have still the, the incredible sound of our, of our engines. For um, the full electric era, 
I have to admit that we have not decided yet if there will be, let's say, only the sound of the electric engine, so the particular sound which is this, or if we create a sound which is then the new sound for London. This is something which uh, we have not decided and we are not in a rush to decide this because we also want to uh, go into it and understand a bit uh, how this can be best handled, not only for today, but also for the generations to come, now for the younger people, which have a different mindset, maybe, of uh, the ones who are going to invest today. So as you make the transition to electric, is, is the plan to have the entire lineup become electric? Um, and and, and what, what kind of time frame? Or do you plan to keep some, at least for a time, keep some hybrid vehicles in the lineup? Um, uh, you know, keep some internal combustion in there? Uh, we have, uh, the legislator is telling us that by 2035, 2036, uh, we need to have, uh, and this is also better for uh, uh, a lot of states in the US, for example, that have to be zero emission vehicles. Today, it seems that there is a ban, at least in the European Union, which is not finally decided of gas and then diesel engines. But uh, there is still the idea that there could be other types of technology uh, valid after the second half of the 30s, so after 36. And uh, we are today uh, looking into the end of this decade to, to electrify, fully electrify those cars which are more daily usable, like the Urus or the Force model, which we got as the first electric car. For the two super sports cars, the Arendalor and the Huracan follower, we want to keep the hybrid engine or the hybrid uh, system as long as we can, so also for the daily of the, of the surface. And we want to see if there's an opportunity, maybe with synthetic fuel, to have uh, um, the, the technology of the mix of uh, combustion engine and uh, uh, electrification still going after 2031. But this depends a lot on the availability of this uh, type of uh, um, fuel and also of the, uh, the, the legal frame. Uh, the different uh, uh, countries and regions are giving us. We have to be compliant, let's say, with the toughest regulations because we are building uh, a car for the world, not a car which is uh, different in every region. Uh, clearly, you know, a big uh, part of the success that that Lamborghini has been able to achieve in the last 20 years has been, you know, because it has become part of the Volkswagen group. Uh, you no longer have the, the financial challenges that the brand had for many, many years. Um, as, as you move forward, um, how, how uh, important is it that, or how much collaboration will there be between Lamborghini and your colleagues uh, across the rest of the group? Uh, you, you're right, there are huge benefits in terms of being part of a group like the Volkswagen group, especially synergies uh, and scale when it comes to purchasing, uh, high quality and uh, lower costs. Um, then also with the new software uh, being more and more a uh, big part of the uh, cars of the future. But I also have to say that we are a very solid company and uh, that we can uh, 
finance uh, the future uh, on our own. So the, 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 all what we are doing, and we have the biggest investments in front of us in, in the history of Lamborghini, this is all uh, self-finance. So we have, yes, synergies, but we also have to act uh, like an independent, a completely independent manufacturer, because the, the group is uh, uh, asking everybody uh, to uh, do a healthy business. And uh, we have today the, the best results ever. We have uh, uh, a profit by the end of September of already 570 uh, million euro. We have delivered 7,430 cars by the end of September. So we are approaching a new record year. And on top of that, we have uh, uh, more than one and a half years of waiting time uh, for our uh, cars and production. So we are in a situation which is a very important. <laughs> yeah, you're you're on track now for sales of almost ten thousand vehicles this year, as you mentioned, an all-time record. Um, how how big can, do you expect Lamborghini to get? Um, you know, is is there an upper limit? You know, for a brand like Lamborghini in terms of sales. So then, for sure, we have to keep exclusivity. This is one of the things always bit less in demand. Um, as I uh, said, uh, we have uh, an order name which is exceeding already the 18 months. And uh, in the past, uh, we have increased our production capacity uh, already twice. Uh, and uh, the future challenges are huge because uh, we are a capital intense uh, uh, industry and uh, the life cycles are getting shorter, the technology is moving faster. So if we want to protect uh, our super sports cars and if we want to have, uh, let's say, a dream car also tomorrow, then it's important that we create enough uh, uh, profit uh, to reinvest in the future. At uh, this end, uh, we are not uh, looking at the sales. Uh, we are looking at profitability and making the best out of every single car. So we are not uh, looking to exceed the uh, certain numbers in terms of sales because this is not what Lamborghini is all about because we sell dreams and not for me. Um, what uh, clearly you know the Urus has been a major part of the growth in the last several years. Um, do you expect to add more models to the Lamborghini lineup uh, in the coming years at additional nameplates besides uh, obviously, you've got the the special limited uh, production models like the new uh, Countach and and so on. But do you expect to add additional models to the your your main lineup of vehicles? Uh, yes, we want to have a fourth model, which will be the, the first full electric car, which will come at the end of this decade. This is the idea we're having. It should be then a, a GT, a T plus two. A two-door car with a bit more ground clearance because a GT car is important in our lineup and this is typical to a car company like ours. So we, we think that this is a good match uh, for Lamborghini also the future because also Perucho Lamborghini when he found that the company he started with GT cars. So therefore we think that this is a good uh, uh, add-on uh, together with the two super sports cars and the SUV being uh, built. Okay. Um... Let's see what else? Um, the 
back here with my notes. The um, so that that uh, that upcoming that full that first uh, EV um, that that would be uh, a, a higher ground clearance uh, two plus two GT. You said something um, along. Could, would it be fair to compare it to something like uh, the the new model that uh, your your competitors in uh, Marinello recently introduced the the Purasang, uh, that that sort of form factor? No, because we have our own history. The Purasangwe is a four car, and and uh, uh, it's a completely different technology. The, the Purasangwe is a turbo combustion engine car only, right. and. Uh, is not uh, what we uh, intend uh, to do uh, for the first model. Okay. All right. Then, um, um, uh, besides, you know, the expansion of the lineup with the Urus, uh, another thing that has changed uh, for Lamborghini over the last fifteen years or so is is more of an involvement in motorsports. Um, and I'm I'm curious, you know. You know, from the Super Trofeo to your involvement in uh, GT3 competition, and now your upcoming LMDH uh, prototype. Um, how important has motorsports been uh, as part of building up the Lamborghini brand? I think your important point for us is very important because we started, as you said, with the one main race here. So with the uh, with the gentleman drivers' cup, this was. Uh, at the end of 2009. And uh, from then onwards, we developed it in different regions. And even if Ferruccio Lamborghini was uh, not keen to enter motorsport, I think today this has a, a very clear strategy for us because on one hand side, it's helping us uh, to test and develop uh, the street legal cars, but it's also something which is uh, uh, very healthy that you're entering into competition with other brands. The GT3 level we did uh, uh, very well as a newcomer, and uh, the LMDH as an idea, not being a, a, a hybrid uh, car and a hybrid uh, championship, this is perfectly fitting also to our strategy, which is stepping in in the next couple of years. So it comes really in the in the right time. So with the uh, with the, the prototype uh, program, um, will there be uh, a factory run team for that, or is that something where you'll be selling the cars to uh, customer teams? So it would be uh, something in between. It would not be a, um, a let's say a factory team, and it will not be an entirely uh, team of uh, uh, of a customer. So it would be a split responsibility. We are more into the development and preparing the car, and the team is more about, uh, uh, let's say, managing uh, uh, the race cars. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that would be a good collaboration model, which we will um, present uh, in the next year. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing that one. There's been some some very interesting uh, race cars coming out uh, this this past year, and in, in, uh, both in uh, LMH and LMDH classes. And, right, uh, right. I'll be interested to see. Uh, it's a very common, uh, let's say, environment, and this is very healthy. Now we are not only 
uh, insights also wait. So we have uh, we are covering the entire world, and this gives a lot of visibility and a lot of opportunities. So, and this is sort of for the, for all of it. Okay. Um, oh, going going back uh, for a moment to uh, electrification. Uh, I know you know prior to your return to uh, Lamborghini, uh, you you ran Bugatti for a while, and they are now part of uh, Rimas. Um, will will they be involved, um, or will you be collaborating with with them uh, as part of your EV development? Well, you know, Rimas is a is a supplier uh, like many other, and uh, uh, we. Uh, We'll decide in the future who is the best partner for us. There's no decision made so far. Okay. Um, well, I think that covers most of what I wanted to to talk about today. Um, are there any other things that uh, listeners should be thinking about? Um, you know, as far as Lamborghini and, and how how the brand uh, will evolve and grow in the coming years. No, I think we said it all. I think we covered up <laughs> really well with the. The things you ask. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Mr. You're welcome. Have, have a great day. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 